0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, God's Covenants. The Bible is structured by a series of covenants, all of which are focused on and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The goal of these covenants is to create and redeem a people in whom God might dwell so that they will glorify and enjoy Him forever. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We are today going to be uh, starting a series that's actually going to run pretty much until almost Easter. Uh, This is a series where we're going to be looking at God's covenants in the Scripture. And I taught something on this actually way back, and I think it was 1998 or 99, I mean a long time ago. Um, And I don't think there's ever been a series that I taught that was requested more, when are you going to teach on that subject again? And so uh, for some some of the folks like Duke McClure has asked this many times, uh, the answer is now, 20 years later, 21 years later. uh, It'll be different than what we did the first time, but we're going to really be looking at all of God's covenants in Scripture and really how they are really part of one overarching covenant God has with us and how all of them point to and are fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So... We're going to start today with just understanding covenants, and we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 9 to 15. Deuteronomy 29, verses 9 to 15. I'll be uh, reading. It'll be out of the New International Version. You'll be able to follow along up on the uh, screen with me. It's also in your booklet, or look along on your Bible. So Deuteronomy chapter 29, beginning at verse 9. Hear the word of the sovereign God. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the aliens living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant which the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath, to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God, as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. June the 9th, 1984, was a really good day for me. There's gonna be a picture popping up here on the screen. Uh, You will all recognize Linda, who looks the same. Uh, And the the young person there to her side is actually me, believe it or not. With uh, Even though I was in the Marine Corps, a little more hair than I have now, I believe. Uh, We were obviously, you can see there, uh, cutting our wedding cake. Uh, It was a very happy day for me. It's a day that I look back on and we celebrate. But it's also an important day because it's not only our wedding. A wedding is actually a covenant. That's what it actually is. We We don't use that term and we don't think in those terms very often. But if you are here and you are married you went through a covenant. There's a ceremony, there are vows, even the meal at the end, we don't oftentimes think about this, but we stay and eat afterwards together, that traces its roots back to ancient covenant ceremonies where they were almost always concluded with a meal. And so today we're starting this series on God's covenants in Scripture, and we're going to see that these are critical. You, you, I'm not gonna, this is not an overstatement when I say you really can't properly understand the Bible if you don't understand covenant because they are central to everything God has done and revealed to us in the scripture. But it's just not a word we use very often. It's not something we consciously think about in our culture. So we're going to begin today by asking what is a covenant? Why are they important? And how does it apply to my life in the modern world? That's what we kind of want to look at today at the first in this series, and then we'll be looking at the actual covenants that God has made with us in Scripture. So we're going to start by trying to define the term covenant. Now notice in today's text here, in verses 9, 12, and 14, you can see the word covenant appears three times. If you look up here, it is highlighted in yellow three times. If you're being sharp, you may notice that it, the word covenant is up there a fourth time. But that's the New International Version. has just added it back in for clarity. The Hebrew word berith, which is the word for covenant, actually appears the three times I have highlighted here. It is Very important in this passage. You may have noticed when I read it, Moses is centering in on the covenant that God is reinstituting with Israel here in Deuteronomy chapter 29. But it's not only important in this passage. I could have picked many, many others because covenant is very, very important in the Scripture. I just checked the other day and my Bible software went up and the Hebrew word berit, which again means covenant, appears 287 times in the Old Testament. And the main word that's translated covenant in uh, Greek in the Bible is a word diatheke. There's actually two words that mean covenant in Greek. But the word diatheke occurs 33 times in the New Testament. There are major covenants in the Bible The word covenant is used with Noah and Abraham and Israel and David and ultimately the new covenant that we have with Jesus Christ. And most of you may not think of this, but we have two major divisions in our Bible, right? What do we call the two parts of our Bible? Old Testament and New Testament. But if you went back when they originally gave them those titles in Greek, it's literally Old Covenant, New Covenant, is how it is separated out. The, the way you have your Bible broken down is around covenants. And as we're going to see in this series, God's covenants actually structure the entire Bible. And they govern the relationship between God and humanity. If you want to understand God's relationship with us, you have to begin with. Covenant. So it's a very, very important topic. Now, with that, what do we mean by covenant? Well, the basic idea of covenant, if you look up Berit in a lexicon, the basic idea is that of an agreement, but it's really a specific type of agreement, and there are several parts to it. First, a covenant is a solemn oath. That part of the covenant is the taking of an oath. So if you notice in verses 12 to 14, Moses is telling the people what they're doing, and he says, you are sealing it with an oath, and God is confirming you as his people, that he may be your God as he promised. And then down in four, verse 14 again, he says, I'm making this covenant with its oath. Oath. So he's linking the idea of covenant and oath. He does that both in verse 12 and 14, and he also uses the term a promise in verse 13. So a a covenant is a solemn promise. It is a solemn oath. That's the basic idea of what a covenant is. Just like when I showed that picture of, of Linda and I all those years ago, that's what we were doing. We were taking covenant vows. We were taking oaths. We were making promises towards one another that we're uh, saying this is what we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. But a covenant in Scripture is a specific kind of oath. It is an oath that establishes or confirms a relationship. Covenants in the Bible are always about relationship. So notice in verses 10 and 11 how Moses, speaking of this covenant, says this, All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, uh, together with your children and your wives, the aliens living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. Moses isn't just writing out a random list of people. What he's trying to say is covenant is about a personal relationship. I'm listing all the different people from the very leaders of Israel down to the lowest person who chops the wood and carries the water who are, who are not even by blood Israelite. All of you are here and you are part of this covenant because it is about relationship. It is about a relationship between God and his people. Now this is important because some people want to undermine the concept of covenant because they say, well, that's a legal thing and we're talking about relationship. Well, I have news for you. The, what I have with Linda is very personal. It is very relational. It is very loving and warm, and making a covenant didn't do anything to undermine that. In fact, it actually strengthens it. So there isn't a dichotomy. You can have covenant and this legal thing, or you can have relationship. That's a foolish modern notion. In the Scripture, the two actually go together. So covenant's not just some dry, legal arrangement. It's a relationship. And if you notice further there in verse 13, he's said what they're doing. In verse 12, you're you're standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath. And here's what he's doing to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God is saying, here's what the covenant is about. I'm confirming that you are my people and I am your God. We are in relationship with one another. And out of all the peoples on the earth, you are mine. And out of all the gods that people imagine there are, I am your God, you are mine, I am yours, That is what the covenant is about. And notice he's even saying this builds on the earlier covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So once again, it's not a non-relational thing. God's saying, I entered into covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to take them as my people and I would be their God. And what I'm doing today is confirming that covenant is still here. It is still true. I'm still in relationship. You're my people. I'm your God. And so covenant is not only an oath, it's an oath that establishes or confirms a relationship between two people. The third thing about a covenant is the covenant defines the nature, the promises, and the consequences, good or ill, of a relationship. Notice this is what Moses says there in verse 9. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. So notice the covenant has terms. It is relational, but it's also legal. On the day that Linda and I stood there before we had cut that cake, we made agreements to do certain things and to not do other things. There were terms in the relationship. And if we violate the terms of the relationship, there's actually provisions from our government that can end the relationship, okay? That's what God is telling them here, there are terms. So the covenant has terms to define the nature of the relationship. It governs what's expected from each person in the relationship. And notice Moses concludes in verse nine by saying, so that you may prosper in everything you do. There's a statement here that if you are walking in the covenant, there are expected blessings. There's also an implied, which has not even just been implied in Deuteronomy, it's been laid out very clearly. What happens if Israel violates the covenant? Right, God actually says the land's going to vomit you out. You're gonna end up going into exile which God predicts that's going to happen because for all of us who've been here for a while, we know, do we keep the covenant? No, we don't, we're, we're gonna come back to how the resolution of that is in a couple minutes, but, but notice here that God is saying that if you're going to prosper, there's rewards that the covenant is followed and penalties when it's not. Now, in the scripture, when you look at covenants, some of them tend to stress God's promises some of them tend to stress the responsibility of the people, but all of them have great promises from God, and all of them also call the people to certain responsibilities. In other terms, you might want to think of it, some of them stress God's law, some of them stress the gospel, But all the ones, even if they are law covenants, all contain the gospel. And even the ones that are primarily gospel still contain God's law. It's never either or. Just like it's not legal or relational, it is both and. The same thing is true here. The covenants all have God's great promises to us but call us to walk in a certain manner. The covenants all have both law and gospel. So with all of this, what do we mean by covenant? Well, here's the way I'm going to define covenant we're going to use in this series. This This is my understanding, but it is the fruit of a lot of years of study. A covenant is an oath defining the nature, promises, and consequences of a relationship. So notice it's an oath it's about relationship, and it's laying out and saying this is the nature of this relationship, this is the promises of the relationship, and this is the expected consequences regarding this relationship. Now, that would be true, and if we go back and you look and you can even see these in scripture, there are all kinds of different covenants. There are covenants that two equal people enter into, such as when Linda and I got married, we were two equals. There's also covenants that were made when a king came in and conquered another territory or somebody pled to the king to come protect them from somebody conquering them, and these are not equals. These were what were called suzerain vassal treaties, and we'll probably talk about those more later. That was between two unequal people. And then there's the ultimate and unequal covenants, which is when we, small human beings, come into covenant with the almighty infinite God, talk about a a covenant between unequal parties. So there's many different ones, but when we're looking specifically in this series, we're going to be talking about the covenants between God and humanity. So what's the heart of those covenants? What is the heart of all the different covenants that begin in the very earliest chapters? We're going to look next week at Genesis chapter 1, where God actually lays out the first covenant. All the way to Revelation 22, where there's all of these covenants. What is the heart of them? That's what I want to go over for the next few minutes. Well, the first thing to say is when we look at the heart of God's covenants, the goal of all of God's covenants is to create and redeem a people in whom He might dwell so that they will glorify and enjoy Him forever. All of God's covenants, whatever else is going on, is about creating and redeeming a people in whom God might dwell so they will glorify and enjoy him forever. Notice in verse 13, Moses is saying, here's what's happening in this covenant. I'm confirming you this day. God is confirming you as his people and that he may be your God. Now, if you're just reading this phrase, this might not perk up and catch your ears, but this is what is sometimes referred to as the covenant motto. If you wanna have one phrase that summarizes all of God's covenants, it is this. I will be your God and you will be my people. This runs throughout the whole Bible. So put on your seatbelts and strap yourself in. I'm gonna go from Genesis to Revelation quickly and give you a bunch of instances in every period of biblical history to show over and over and over again this is the heart of God's covenant. In Genesis chapter 17, God comes and he speaks to Abraham. And in Genesis 17, 17, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Notice how Moses is picking up on that language in Deuteronomy chapter 29. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, when Israel is languished in Uh, exile and in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God is speaking that he's coming to them and he says in Exodus 6-7, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Notice the same promise. When uh, they come out, the Lord gives them his law. In Leviticus 26-12, God says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. So we have it with Abraham, we have it when they're in Egypt, we have it when God actually establishes the covenant at Sinai. As we move forward in time, God makes covenant with David. And when he makes the covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, David responds and prays this in 2 Samuel 7, 24. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. David says, you made covenant with me, and I realize it's the same covenant that it was with, at Sinai. It's the same covenant when we were in Egypt. It's the same covenant you made with Abraham. It's that you are our God, and we are your people. When Jeremiah is living, the people of God have been sent into exile, And there's concern to whether they are still the people of God. God speaks and says, they will be my people and I will be their God. In Ezekiel chapter 11, these two are actually speaking of the new covenant that is promising because they had violated the old covenant. God promises a new covenant. Ezekiel 11:20 says, then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. When the people return from exile and they are back, the next major part of the story. Zechariah is one of the prophets. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, we read, They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Every major epoch in the Old Testament, this is the covenant motto and promise and it doesn't stop with the Old Testament. When we move into the New Testament, there's many places I could pull this out, I'll just give a couple. Second Corinthians chapter six, so Paul is writing to a group of Gentiles that have nothing to do with the nation of Israel, but notice what he says. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He's actually quoting Leviticus 26, 12, which we just looked at a couple of minutes ago. And Paul's saying, you may be Gentiles, you may by blood have nothing to do with Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David, but you are the heirs of that covenant. It is yours, and the covenant motto is still the same. I will be your God and you will be my people. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, he recounts out of the book of Jeremiah and he quotes it, applying it to the church. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then finally, you come all the way to the end of history. We're in Revelation 21 and 22. Everything is wrapped up. The new Jerusalem is descending out of heaven. It's the new heavens and the new earth. The story is finished. We are at the end, and what does God say? Revelation 21, 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You you can't get any clearer. God is saying over and over and over, this is the design. This is the goal. This is what the story has always been driving at. I want a people that I can look at and I can say, you are my people. And that group will look back to me and say, and you are our God. That's what the scripture is all about. It's what all the covenants are. Are about It has always been the goal of God's covenant. He's going to create and redeem a people that belong to God and in whom God dwells. And it is quoted in every part of Scripture. Don't miss it. It's there with Abraham. It is there with Uh, Israel when they are in Egypt. It is there with Israel at Mount Sinai. It is with Israel in the promised land. It is made with David and his houses. They're going to be the kings over Israel. It is made even when they have broken covenant and they are sent into exile. It is made when they're brought back into the promised land and God says, I'm going to bring forth the new covenant. It is made when Zechariah, he refers to it when he prays uh, that Jesus is coming. It is made with the Gentile church. It is made with the Jewish church. And we are told at the very end of time, God's still going to speak those words. Everywhere in the scripture, this is the goal of what God is doing. It is his purpose that there are going to be a people in whom God dwells, and they will glorify and enjoy him forever. That's the first part. Second, the focus and fulfillment of all of God's covenants is Jesus Christ, because That's all glory is what I just said. I mean, who wants to say, man, on the final day, God is gonna look and say out of the whole universe, you are mine, you're my treasure. See, I want that. But the problem is, I don't keep the covenant. So how are we gonna get that? Well, the answer is every covenant God makes from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 has the same focus, and the same fulfillment and if you read the covenants apart from jesus christ you are reading them wrong and you're missing what they're about they are all about jesus every one of them the apostle paul goes over this many times but i'll take one in galatians chapter 3 beginning at verse 15 Paul's describing covenants. He says, brother, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. Notice he's talking about covenant. So it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is who? Christ. Now, Paul's telling you, if you're reading God's promises to Abraham, who should you see? Who should you see? Jesus. If you're seeing anybody other than Jesus, you're wrong. You're reading it wrongly. Not because I say so. Because the Holy Spirit says so through Paul. There aren't many seeds. There's one seed, Jesus Christ. And that's actually very good news. Because if it's up to you and me, we're not going to keep the covenant. But if it's up to Jesus, he keeps the covenant And the blessing comes to us. So notice he continues on. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, which is the next phase in God's covenants, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Paul says don't don't think that the law suddenly changed God's program, it didn't. It's still marching forward, but the point was always the seed who was coming from the very beginning. And if you know your Bible, when's the first time we hear about the seed who's going to come? All the way back in Genesis chapter three, We're talking about the seed who is coming, the seed who is coming. It is constantly the reference. And Paul's saying, look, the law was there, but the law was added because of our transgressions, because we couldn't keep it. If it was up to us, if it was by law and not promise, we're in trouble. But thanks be to God, it's always been about promise. It's always been about Jesus Christ. Christ, and so at any point, it never changes, it never loses its focus away from Jesus Christ. Whatever covenant you are looking at, whatever stage, all those things I just mentioned, the focus, the only way it comes into focus is when it looks at Jesus Christ. And the only way it comes into fulfillment is when it comes to Jesus Christ. And the same message is actually spoken in the New Testament in many, many places, We've just gone through a course with it being Christmas time. One of the texts we looked at a little bit was Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And you remember when he struck dumb and can't speak for months because he had doubted the word of the angel. And then when he writes down his name is John, to say that John the Baptist is not going to be named Zechariah, he's going to be named John. Suddenly his mouth is open and he starts to praise God. And here's the beginning of his prayer. This is Luke 1, 68 to 73. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. We're we're back with that covenant motto. He's redeeming a people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. We've got the Davidic covenant. As he said through his holy prophets long ago salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father abraham he's saying god's promise to david is about Jesus, who's now in the womb of Mary. God's promise to Abraham is about Jesus, who's now in the womb of Mary. God's promise at Sinai was always about Jesus, who's now in the womb of Mary. Every promise God has made is looking to Jesus. So all of God's covenants are focused upon and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and the promised blessings of every covenant are found only in and through Jesus. Him. If you are in Jesus, how many of God's covenant promises belong to you? All of them. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, they all belong to you. If you are not in Jesus, how many of God's covenant promises belong to you? None. Because they all belong to Jesus. So the only way to get them is to be in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, you have no claim to any covenant promises because they were all ultimately made with him which isn't bad news it's very good news because when we make a covenant we'll be looking in the next couple weeks at Adam and God's initial covenant with us and how long did we last in that one right it's it's not a very long it's not like the story goes a long long time with us being faithful right i mean like a couple of verses were faithful and that's it if it's up to us will never keep the covenant. But thanks be to God, they were always looking to Jesus Christ. Then the final thing to know about the covenants is that the purpose of God's covenants is that they are meant to be an anchor for our faith. The goal is to create and redeem a people. The focus and fulfillment is always Jesus. And the purpose in our lives is they are meant to anchor our faith. Hebrews chapter 6 is talking about this. And listen to what he says in verses 16 to 20. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. We know this, right? I swear on the soul of my mother and all this kind of silly stuff we say, right? We put our hands on the Bible and we take an oath. That's that's the kind of thing saying, I'm really, really serious about what I'm saying. So men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. So when we go into... You know, when we go into court, you have to stand there and take an oath, right? When I went into the military, we all had to stand up and take an oath. And why do we do that? Because sad to say, what do people do? We lie. So we require oaths to say, well, sometimes you might not be able to trust me, but right now you can really, really trust me. So that's what the writer is saying. But here's the interesting thing. Does God lie? Why does God need to take a? I co- I mean, does God have to put his hand on the Bible and say, well, you can't always trust me, but right now I'm really, really being true. You might need to do that. I might need to do that. God doesn't need to do that. So why does God make all these covenants with us? Well, here's what the writer tells us. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God's saying, I don't lie in the first place, you don't even need it. But on top of it, I'm putting the cherry on top, I'm taking an oath on top of the fact I don't lie. And here's why, so we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The writer is saying, look, pay attention to this. God didn't need to take an oath. God doesn't lie. But God said, I want you to know how serious I am, so I'm going to take an oath. And so you got two reasons. I don't lie. And I've taken a covenant oath, and this is an anchor for your soul. And when things are going rough, and you wonder, and it seems like our God's promise is true, there is an anchor that penetrates even behind the veil. And there is Jesus who said, I died to secure the covenant for you. All the times you broke the covenant, I bore the covenant curse you get the covenant blessings. God promises, he does not lie, he's made covenant oath, I died to seal it, what more do you need? That's what God has done for us. His covenant secures your faith and mine. And don't get religious on me. You and I need that security. Because right now, you're sitting here and you're listening and you're like, oh I believe. And then we get out there and things start going south and we start wondering if we believe. And God says, you can take it to the bank. I promised I do not lie. I swore with the covenant vow that I would keep it. And as we'll see later, the price of that covenant vow required the eternal son of God to shed his blood blood, and he did not flinch. He did it, and he kept the covenant for you and me. And God says, that is an anchor for your soul. This is why covenant is so important for you and me. It holds and it keeps us. So how do we apply this today? I've got just one question, and then we're going to come to our covenant table. The question is, do I see the importance of covenant? And I bring this up both because it's, it's a concept we don't talk about much, and our culture is trying to eat away the very idea, the underpinnings of covenant. But God is a God of covenant. It's his nature. We're even told the Father and Son and Spirit make covenant with one another. This day I have begotten you is a covenant oath that the Father makes to the Son. God is a God of covenant. The entire Bible is structured by covenant, the entire thing, because God's a God of covenant. Our Christian life is initiated and sustained by covenant. How do you and I become the children of God? It's not by birth. It's by the new birth it's by the new covenant it's by the blessings that are opened up to us in the new covenant and what is the the sign of initiation into the new covenant that we take water baptism and then we actually do a covenant renewal ceremony regularly that's what this is on this table right here in front of you we are reminding ourselves that we stand before god as his children by covenant That is how we are the children of God. In fact, our entire worship every week is really a reenactment of God's story and God's covenant before him. So our entire Christian life is one of covenant. But it's even when you step outside of that, the principle of covenant is woven into the warp and woof of all creation and all of life. You can't go anywhere where you don't walk into covenant. Family is a covenant institution. I I began by showing the picture. Linda and I are a family, not because I just kind of say it or whatever, because we made a covenant. That is why we are a family. And make no mistake, skip the covenant. You can call yourself whatever you want, but family is a covenant institution in fact the church is a covenant institution the government is a covenant institution where there are rules and regulations that govern the relationship they are created by god this way again if you have to go into uh, court you take an oath. When I went into the military, I had to take an oath. Every time I got promoted, I had to raise my right hand and reinstitute the oath. When we do business with other people, we sign contracts. All of these are forms of government, Our bills. Every time you're doing these things, you're doing covenant. We don't think about it, but you, you, you can't swing a dead cat around without hitting covenant everywhere you go. It is all around you. We just don't think in those terms. Now, this is especially important because today our culture is very anti-institutional and we are very anti-covenant. We want the blessings. I don't want the responsibility. And so our culture even says things like, look, That marriage license is a piece of paper. No, it's not, and you're a fool if you say it is. It's not just a piece of paper. It's a covenant, and it's the way God has instituted it. Well, I want to do it a different way. We'll find a different universe. I don't know how to tell you. In this universe, this is how it works. It works by covenant. But see, we, we don't like that. We say, I I don't, that's restrictive. Yes, it is, which is precisely the point. It reminds me of what my vows are. It holds me to something, and therein lies blessing. But our culture may not say, you're being told day after day, so am I, that, that hey, it's all privileges, no responsibilities. You don't need those things, those things are binding. You don't need that. That is against the very fabric of the way God has made the universe. And so we think today we can change the very nature of all these institutions, right? What is family? Whatever we say it is. Uh, No, it's not. It's what God says it is. What's the church? Well, whatever we want it to be. No, it's not. It's what God has created it to be. In every Uh, every area of life we're thinking we can change the basic structure of these covenant institutions but they're given by God and we're not free to shift them and change them but that's where we live as a culture right now we want to believe there is nothing that defines anything other than what I want at the moment Now, just think and look around that is where we're at that is destructive To the people who believe that, to the people who are around them, to society at large. You can't exist that way. Now, that leads, so all of that's talking about this question, do I see the importance of covenant? So there are two questions for you and me, just as an introduction. Number one, do I live conscious of the reality and importance of covenant? You're engaging in covenant stuff all the time, but we can do it ignorantly. We can do it with our eyes closed we can do it as if it's not important i remember i had a young marine friend when we were on okinawa and uh he suddenly was getting married and we were all like shocked like we didn't even know you were seeing anybody well i went to the philippines last week and i met her and we're getting married we were in the back of a limousine on the way to the wedding and i was like what (laughs) i said i said do you really know her do you really know what's going on he said well you know if it doesn't work we'll just split it up later Well, stick a fork in this sucker, it's done. I'll go ahead and prophesy right now. This is not going to make it. Okay? And that's the way we approach this stuff half the time now. We act as if it's not serious. But it is. Do I realize everything works by covenant? And that God is actually paying attention when we make these oaths and vows? That leads to the second way of thinking about this question, the importance of it. Do I take my covenant responsibilities seriously? If you are here and you're married, do you take the vows you made seriously? I can tell you who does. God does. Very seriously. If you're a believer, you're called to be a member of a local church. If Bay Ridge is that church, do you take your covenant with your brothers and sisters seriously? See, in America, again, we're free. The second I don't like something, what do I do? We just roll down the road, right? And every time we're doing that, we're actually violating the way the universe is created to operate. We're not made to operate. We're made. See, one of the reasons God puts us in covenant is because it holds us through the tough times. Are there tough times in marriage? Absolutely. Are there tough times when we're members in a church and worshiping and living our lives together? Oh, yeah. Every aspect we're in, there are those. And that's why God says, I call you to walk in covenant. Not just for, remember in the, in the old traditional wedding vows, and it's true in all these areas, what is it we, we, we take each other for better or worse, richer or horror, sickness, health. That's that old literary thing called Amerism, which means everything, no matter what. This is how we're holding one another. So am I being conscious of this and living this way? Because, friend, you are in covenants all over your life. And, you know, as Moses was telling Israel that day, pay attention to what you're doing here. Pay attention to the covenant. This is what God wants us to do, and there is a blessing for those who, who say, yes, I fail, but but I am trying to walk in a covenantal manner. And life becomes chaos if you're not walking in a covenantal manner. Now, what we're going to do is, because of our relationship with God, we're going to be coming to the table. And I want to remind us, as we come down here to this table, that this table is the table of the new Covenant, which the writer to Hebrews told us is an anchor for our soul, that God has done this. And we are reminded here of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you this, this table is for those who recognize God is a covenant maker, we are covenant breakers. But Jesus has kept the covenant for us. In a moment, we're going to go through and I'm going to be leading us in some prayers or I'm going to be praying some things and they're going to be confessing our sins. If you believe you are a covenant keeper and you don't have sin, then you don't need this table. Okay, and you shouldn't partake of the table because that means you're not a Christian. But if you are a believer, that means I recognize we have broken the covenant time and again. But God invites me in by grace and by mercy. And I have an anchor that goes behind the veil, and that anchor is not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That anchor is not my covenant vows. It's God's covenant vows that he has kept for me. If you believe that, I invite you to the table, and I invite you to come in today and to be renewed and to be strengthened In your faith. As always, if you need uh, gluten free, you can raise your hand and we will bring it to you in a moment. So, friends, let's come to the table of the new covenant. For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have opened up the way for us to come to this table of grace, this covenant table. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to minister to us so that we might receive from you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to distribute the elements. Uh, Take them and hold on to them. We will take them together in just a couple moments. And we're going to have a a song, some, some lyrics you can see with a worship song up here on the screen to help us focus as we get ready to receive the Lord's table. Father, you are a God of covenant. You establish covenant with us as your image bearers, but we humbly confess that our father Adam sinned and violated your covenant, and we have followed in his steps. We do not hide this fact or try to excuse ourselves, but rather openly confess our sin before you. We have broken your covenant law in thought, word, and deed, both in what we have done and what we have left undone. Today, we simply look to you for mercy, based not on our works, but those of Christ. For he was faithful to your covenant in our place. So forgive our sins and cover us in his righteousness. We ask this in his name. Friends, take and eat, recognizing the body of Christ that was broken for you. Lord Jesus, when we consider our sins, even those we commit as believers, we could easily despair and lose hope. But your blood was shed to seal God's covenant promise of forgiveness. And there is power in your blood. Power to forgive our every sin. Power to cleanse us and make us pure. Power to overcome all the works and accusations of the enemy. Your work as our covenant mediator is an anchor for our souls, holding us firm in every storm of life, securing our conscience against the lies of the enemy. So today, we give you thanks for your precious blood, and we claim all of its benefits for us as your people. Brothers and sisters, take and drink, recognizing the blood of Christ shed for you. Holy Spirit, we are dependent upon you, for we are weak and frail, and in our own strength we would fail in keeping our covenant vows but we know that your strength is greater than our weakness, so come and empower us now to stand upon every promise of your word. We cry out for you to empower us to live as sons and daughters of the covenant. I pray that you would give us minds to understand our covenant responsibilities before our God. Give us hearts to believe all of God's covenant provisions for us give us wills to follow your covenant commands and give us power to fulfill the righteous requirements of God's covenant law this week Lord help us to stand on every promise of your word we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Our covenant mediator and God's people say amen. Brothers and sisters let's stand together and we will conclude with a word of benediction. This is at the end of the book of Hebrews and I encourage you to receive now the blessing and provision of God. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in each one of us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go forth full of God's covenant blessings and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.